0: Welcome to the Broken Pie Chart Podcast, episode 168. I'm your host, Derek Moore. This week, going to get into a little bit about valuation and, and not really, I'm not trying to pick a, a level on the market or anything like that. We'll work through a, an example. But I want to talk about valuation because one of the things you you keep hearing if you watch CNBC or Bloomberg or Fox Business, you have people come on, they say, Okay, well, given where interest rates are, valuations have to come down. Or based upon inflation and then the Fed raising rates, valuations have to be lower. And so what do they mean by that? Well, if you've ever taken a, an econ or a, a finance class, you probably learned about present value and future value. And don't worry, I'm not gonna walk you through all the, the ins and outs of that. You can close up the textbook for now, but before I get to the effect of interest rates on the S and P 500, let's say, or the market, or an asset, I think it's worth just reviewing really quick what we're talking about. And and the example I always like to give is, I say, okay, let's say someone's going to give you a thousand bucks. You're like, that's awesome. It sounds like a great deal for me. And then they say, well, we're going to give it to you in a year. So imagine you're, you're selling something and, and great, that's $1,000. Uh, oh, okay. I don't have $1,000, but I'll give it to you in a year. Give you $1,000. Give me the trinket, the widget, whatever it is. And this is where you're like, hey, I'd rather just have the $1,000 in my pocket. And so $1,000 today, right now, in my hand, is worth more than $1,000 I'm going to get in one year. And the way that we figure out what the the present value of a future payment is going to be is we have to use what's called a discount rate. It's just a fancy way of saying an interest rate. And an interest rate could be, hey, if I had this $1,000, what could I get over the next year risk-free? And normally you, you might take you know, one year treasury bond, or you might take, I don't know, a series of three month treasuries and, and annualize that. You know, so maybe you use the the three month treasury bill rate, which is pretty much risk free because even if interest rates go up in three months you get to buy a new bond, right? And other times you might use something called the cost of capital or the weighted cost of capital. And that's just another fancy term for saying if you were a business and you were have to having to issue shares or generate a return or or pay off bondholders, what's your cost of capital? So setting that aside, let's say the $1,000 and let's say the discount rate is 1%. If I discount that $1,000 payment that I'm not going to get today, I'm going to get it in one year, and I discount it by that 1%, basically it's $1,000 divided by 1 plus the decimal of 1%. So 1 plus 0.01 is 1.01 to the exponent of a year from now. And I get $990. So I'm like, okay, you want to give me $1,000 in a year from now and my discount rate's 1%? All right. That's essentially worth $990 to me. And then, but what if... Interest rates went up. Well, if interest rates go up, let's say they they go up to 5%. Well, that same $1,000 I'm going to get in one year is now only worth $952 in in the present, uh, you know, brought back to the present value. Why? Because I could have enjoyed 5% on that money. So I'm missing out on that. And then you're kind of like, okay, what if somebody said, hey, I'm going to give you $3,000. Awesome. But I'm going to give you $1,000 in one year, $1,000 at the end of year two, and $1,000 at the end of year three. All right. Well, going back to my discount rate of 1%. If, if I look at the, the present value of that stream of cash flows, and notice the term cash flow. Uh, because when we start to look at markets you look at discounted cash flows all right so okay so i take a thousand dollars a year at one percent discount rate the present value of those one two and three year payments is 2941 not not three thousand dollars i go up and i say i'm gonna make my discount rate five percent interest rates go up all right well now it's only worth twenty seven twenty three. So it's essentially discounting $277 off the $3,000. And if I make this 10% the discount rate, if I really jack up the rate, well, now those those three payments are only worth $2,487 in present terms today. So why do I go through this? The reason I go through this is because everyone is going on. They're saying, well, if interest rates go up, the market's intrinsic value, has to go down. And it's the idea of, theoretically, I'm using air quotes, a market's price, or a stock's price, but in this case, a market's price, is based upon future cash flows discounted down to the present. And those future cash flows, or earnings, are estimations. They're not certainties, they are estimations. And there's a couple ways of doing this. We say intrinsic value or discounted cash flow you can look at the cash flows. The cash flows basically are, I won't spend too much time on it, but if you're not sure what those are, if you're trying to explain it to somebody. And by the way, a lot of the stuff I already covered, you're like, wait, I already know that. Maybe you have to explain it to, to someone. So I, I feel like it's uh, you can use some of this. But free cash flow is essentially, you know, imagine you owned a coffee shop and you pay your employees, you reinvest in the business, you do all the stuff, and you know, you pay interest on debt. And at the end of the year, you start out with zero in your register. You close the year out and you look in your register and you're like, oh, how much cash do I have in there? Assuming you only took cash and not credit cards. Anyway, that's sort of like free cash flow. So the the stock market or people who do fundamental intrinsic discounted cash flow valuation, what they're doing is they're looking at future cash flows. They're discounting them back to the present. And we just saw that the higher the discount rate, the higher the interest rate is, the lower all of those future cash flows or earnings are in the present. And so I'm going to link to this. Uh, Professor Aswath Damodaran from NYU puts out some great material. He actually put out a, uh, a forecast or a valuation model. I think this was in May, but I'll put a link to, uh, to that so you can see it. And what I did was I used Excel and I recreated some of this, and I just used uh, some different numbers and and I put in the estimates. So for example, uh, we're not using cash flows, and I find it easier to use the earnings method. And the earnings method essentially looks at what are the earnings estimates on the S&P 500. For example, I think the latest estimate, um, to give you an idea, last year, 2021, the earnings were... $208.49, $208.49, you know, per share, right? And so if the S&P is trading at 4,500 or 4,800, whatever it was at the end of the year, it, it's trading at some multiple of those, those earnings. But really, markets trade on a forward expectations basis. So we're already pretty much done with Q1 of 22. And for the full year, the estimate's about $227.70, That's about 9.2% growth from the prior year, 2023. And and I'm using the IBEs estimate, I-B-E-S. And these, by the way, will change. They they get revised up and down both ways. That's a little over 250, uh, close to, let's say, 276.5 and change in 2024. And so you basically have earnings estimates. And I said those will change. Just to give you an idea of how much earnings estimates change, you might remember, and I'm just I'm pulling it up uh, a piece of paper here, when COVID happened, and let's see, what was that, 2000, uh, 2020, right? Um, estimates went down quite a bit. I mean, actual earnings went down in 2020, but the, the forward estimates were way lower than they are today. In other words, there was, I mean, 2020, nobody had an estimate of $208.49 actual uh, or an estimate for 2021 in 2020. And a lot of times earnings estimates start out high and they come back down. Uh, we've seen estimates beat so far in Q1. So my point is that All this stuff, when you're trying to to value something, it's really sensitive, not only on changing the estimates, but changing the interest rates. So if I punch in all this stuff and the way you do it on earnings and the way that um, uh, Professor DeModeran does, he assumes that from those earnings, the company's going to pay a percentage out in dividends and they're going to use a percentage of the earnings to buy back their shares. And share buybacks are quasi-dividend. So if you take the dividend yield plus the buyback yield, in other words, if you have a trillion-dollar company, or let let me use a different number. If you have a million-dollar company, and they buy uh, $50,000 worth of their own stock back, that's 5%. Um, They're reducing the flow, right? So the buyback yield is 5%. Let's say they pay a 5% dividend. Okay, that's 5%. So your total augmented or total yield is, between the two, is about 10%. But you have to, and his numbers have, uh, in 2021, 80.5% of those earnings were paid out in either dividends or, or buybacks. I don't know the breakdown of each. And so that's that's how you get around just the more labor-intensive or cumbersome figuring out all the cash flows on the companies and the S&P and then doing it that way. You can do it that, that way, but you can do it off earnings. So I went in and I said, okay, I'm going to use the uh, the IBS estimates. And then I got to do something for 2025. And what I did was I think it took 75. I said, they they grew about, based on upon the estimates, they'll grow close to 10.5% earnings uh, in 24 from 23. And I said, 2025, I realize you can't see this, right? But I, I, I made an estimation. All this is estimations that they would grow about 75% of that in 25. And then what you do is you got to figure out, okay, maybe you only have three years of earnings estimates and maybe you estimate another one. But let's say you only have three. Then you got to figure out, okay, is the company going to shut down? It's going to go out of business. Or is it gonna keep operating? And if it keeps operating, what you have to do is you have to assume they're gonna grow perpetually on and on and on. And a lot of times people just use, you know, the historical growth in GDP, two to three uh, percent. you can also use the 10-year treasury as a proxy. And 10-year treasury, you know, is uh, just under three percent. So anyway. It's a long way of getting to, you have estimates, you have an interest rate, and remember, you've got to discount back future earnings down back to the present. You also have to come up with what's called the equity risk premium. The equity risk premium is basically, what's the the return on top of your risk-free rate that you're going to require from the market? From equity, in other words, if you're an investor, what's your your cost of capital on that? What, what's your required return? And this changes too. So this is why it's not an exact science, but this changes too. And so right now it's you know probably somewhere between five and five and a half. I think uh, uh, Professor uh, Demeteren had about 5.13 or so. So if the Ten-year treasuries, you know, around three percent, and your equity risk premium is a little over five. You're like, okay, required required rate of return is about eight percent. That's that's the number you discount down each year of those earnings. And so, basically, what you do is you either use a discount rate of the ten-year treasury, you use you know the actual uh, risk-free rate, the three-month treasury, or something. And when you run the numbers, you say, "Okay, based upon all of these estimates and all of these inputs, which can change and they change a lot, what theoretically, in air quotes, is the market worth?" And I think when I ran this, it was I don't know about forty-two fifty or so on the S and P, and the actual value of the S and P is four thousand twenty-four as of the close Friday. And I, I, I hesitate to even tell you my number because you are know, like, "Wait a second. I should buy it now. Well, remember, I'm always an advocate of of staying invested in the market but being hedged because we really don't know what's going to happen in the market. We only know that you have to be in the market long term to get any sort of growth. And I like the idea of having hedge hedges in there and having a floor uh you know to to mitigate taking really really big losses. So don't buy this just because I just told you I created a spreadsheet and put some numbers in. But to give you an example, and uh, and and by the way, too, I'll just say this: the problem with um, people who are really tried and true, you know, discounted cash flow model uh, investors is they sort of get anchored to, hey, the market is should be at this price, and it's not. Well, the reality is, if there's more buyers than sellers, the market's going to go up. If there's more sellers than buyers, the market's going to go down. I hate to be the bearer of bad news on this, but that's the reality. But let's say I change my 10-year treasury from 293 to, you know, let me make it uh, 0.75. Well, then when you calculate it, it's like, well, all right, the intrinsic value goes to 4627. Again, I'm not saying to buy it here, just... uh, you know, I'm an advocate of of buying, but being hedged. Okay. Um, you stay in the market, but if you know, these are just, these are all estimates. Okay. Like don't trade off this, please. So the point I'm trying to make though, is you can see is when you lower the interest rate in your formula, the more the intrinsic value of the market is. And you should take this to say, that's why everyone is going on TV and saying, well, you know, as interest rates rise, PEs, multiples have to come down, and that's your your price divided by your earnings. They say, look, in my model, and a lot of them say that when I put a, a discount rate or, or an interest rate at this, you know, the market is has to come back down, and they're not wrong. So I mean, that's that's the thing. Uh, if you have really low rates, those future earnings and cash flows are worth more in the present, just like we did at the beginning of this this episode. And by the way, what does that mean for forward PE ratios? It means the lower the rates are, typically the higher the the forward PE ratios are. I mean, what would the market is willing to pay for future growth? When interest rates go way up, the market isn't willing to pay as much for that future growth because, When you discount those those earnings back to the present, they're not worth as much. Okay, so that's what everybody's talking about. That's what you're hearing people, and you know, explain. And I think it was uh, somebody from from Fidelity. I gotta look up uh, look up his name here. Oh, there it is, Urien Timmer. So Urien Timmer uh, put out puts out some some different content and what he did was he actually has a valuation meaning the the pe versus the 2 year treasury note yield so 2 year treasury right 2 years and you know one of the things that he pointed out is for every 100 basis point rise in interest rates that's a full 1 percentage point you lose like 5 points off pe So you might remember in the beginning of the year, the market was, uh, or at the end of the year, what was it, like 20 forward P of like 21? And then you had, uh, you know, now it's, I don't know, like 16.2, 16.5. I'd have to to look at that. It's under 17 though, but if it is, it's sort of slightly. So, but here's the thing. So the, the market, and we've noticed this, Jay Pestricelli and I talked about this on previous podcast. Last year, the earnings were up, but the multiple is down 7%, meaning what the market was willing to pay for future earnings was came down. This year, earnings are up. I think so far, uh, the quarter should be closed soon, but earnings are up year over year. But yet the multiple is down something like 22%. And so just because the multiple comes down doesn't mean the market can't grow. Because if you get earnings growth, in theory, uh, that should, you should get that bump. And then multiples can change. People could be willing to pay more or pay less. And it's not all related to interest rates. Remember, people buy and sell. Institutions buy and sell. Flows of funds matter. So you know, it's, it's, there's a lot going on here. All right, that was kind of the the main point. Now I mentioned before, obviously I'm an advocate of the buy and hedge methodology, and if uh, I'm going to give out my the way to contact me, it's Derek at ZegaFinancial.com. That's D-E-R-E-K. Dot M-O-O-R-E at Zega. Z is in zebra, E is in Eddie, G is in George, A is in Apple. Financial.com. Financials up to you to spell correctly. And I'd be happy to go over how we build portfolios and answer questions about uh, maybe the way you're invested right now. And by the way, drop me a line if if you want suggestions on future episode topics. Uh, This is one that I actually had a few people ask me about. And I I just keep seeing, you know, whether it's CNBC or Bloomberg, people going on there and talking about the valuation, things like that. So I'm going to link to a few different things. I'll link to Professor Oswath Motoren's site, and he's got all sorts of really good stuff on there. Uh, I'm going to link to uh, the Urian Timmer. I think it was uh, on Twitter he put something out. Uh, that's where he has that chart of the two-year note uh, versus the, um, you know, the, the the PE, the forward P of the market. So I'll put that out as well. And uh You know, look, you have, I realize that a lot of you may not have seen a drawdown. And I say that because we really, you know, in December of 18, we had a drawdown. It wasn't quite 20%. We had a drawdown in 2020. And that was a pretty big drawdown, but then it recovered fairly quickly. And this one has been really orderly. And I say orderly because we haven't had, you know, knock on wood, we haven't had these crazy days where the market's lock limit down and, you know, the treasuries get fro- uh, the, the futures get frozen on Sunday night and you have trading halts and everything like that. You know, we had that in 2020. And so it, it is somewhat of an orderly decline. And I know a lot of you, especially those who are younger, are like hey the market only goes up. Well, the market does oscillate. And you know, here's the reality, the market goes up and down and has volatility that's much more volatile than you know, do you really think Apple's earnings go up 20, 30, 40%? 50%? But you have some really big uh, especially in the large tech names that are off, you know, 30, 40%. Even though their earnings haven't really changed that much. So I, I really encourage people to to stay invested, uh, be hedged, uh, make sure that your portfolios are sort of set up commensurate with uh, what you're trying to accomplish, and you know we we've seen these types of things before. It just we went a long time between 2008, 2009, and 2020, and right now the Federal Reserve is raising rates, and we have higher inflation. So. We may do some more on that. I'll leave that topic for another time. Uh, but we are in a, a rising rate environment. And the question is, how much does the Fed have to raise? Uh, a, lot of, you know, a lot of raises are priced in at this point in some of the, not only the bond market, but some of the stock market. But at the same time, if, if things do slow down, inflation, uh, the rate of change on inflation comes back in a little bit, maybe they don't have to raise as much. And if there's any softness in the economy, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they're cutting again. So, you know, we'll just see on that. I'm going to leave that for another time. We'll get into get into the economy and, and a few other things uh, maybe next week. Uh, I think Jay Prestocelli may be back next week with me. And if not, I will be here or with another guest. So we're going to leave it there. Hopefully this was helpful both in explaining it and simplifying it, how you can explain it to others, even if you know this stuff, or if you're like, what are they talking about? Okay, that's kind of what they're talking about. So, all right, well, let's call it there. Have a great week, everyone. We'll talk to you next week.